Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week, I've been trying to get down to the beach at sunset. It's not always easy to find the time, but the skies have been really clear, so the sunsets are spectacular. So easy to miss them. So easy to forget that they're there. But these perfect, cold, frosty winter days are actually really precious. Just as I was coming down to the beach, I noticed that the moon is high over the town. It's waxing gibbous in a clear blue sky. Dark blue, now that the sun's coming down, it's just touching the horizon. The tide's out, so I'm squelching about on the seabed, which will ruin my boots. And there are big crowds of starlings flying together, murmurating. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a verb. Down here on the beach. It's quite busy actually. People come out with the sun, they're all taking photos. I will be too in a moment. The oyster men are still harvesting from the frames. All of the houses are lit up golden with the low sun. Two planes are crossing in the sky, leaving their vapour trails like a kiss. And the sea is the most extraordinary silver blue. It always feels at this time in the afternoon 
like it's charging up with the last of the sun. And after it goes down, there will be this glow as if it's luminescent. It's reflecting the big orange ball in all the puddles left on the seabed at the moment. So lovely. It's a really good moment to set the scene for my conversation with Amy Nisuku Kamathil, the memoirist and poet who speaks so well of rare things, of the things in nature that are not ordinary, not small and brown like the birds that I see in my back garden but wonderful and elaborate and kind of abundant past what even seems necessary. She draws some very light and beautiful comparisons between that and herself as a child who seemed strange within the environment she landed in. She describes it much better than I can. But I love the comparison she makes between herself and the peacocks that filled her house that almost seemed to offend her teacher when she drew them in school. And yet, who doesn't want peacocks, honestly? I loved our conversation. Again, it's such a privilege to talk with these amazing writers who I could never fly out and meet. So I hope you enjoy it. And I'll return us to the beach in a moment, hopefully when the sun's gone down. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm really excited. Uh, thank you, Catherine. We, we we were on the same list last year on the Barnes and Noble list, which you won. And I, you know, <laughs> I was curious about your book then, and I managed to get hold of a copy and loved it. So um, I've waited um, all this time. I've waited a year to talk to you. So it's really exciting. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yes, it was. There were some formidable titles in that um, round. So mm. I, I'm just so excited to be able to to chat with you because you know I, I'm sure you get this a lot. But after reading your book, I just was like this is I I could just spend a whole afternoon in a coffee shop with her you know um chatting so anyway it's wow. it's great fun this was written in glitter on my planner today <laughs> oh wow I got the glitter the things that I like to do are written in glitter pens the things that I don't like to do are just in <laughs> black ink <laughs> you know well I am thrilled to have got glitter thank you so <laughs> yes <much>. <laughs> it's the time of year for it too mm-hmm. um So there's so much I'd love to talk to you about today. And, you know, obviously I'll be focusing on your book, World of Wonders. But I wanted to touch on, first of all, you you started as a poet and you've moved into very poetic prose. That's right. How was that transition for you? What was that like? You know, it's... It was so kind of fun and liberating. You know, I've always loved, I'm still a poet. You know, some of my poet friends grumble, oh, so you're leaving poetry now. You know, no, no, no. I, uh, in fact, just yesterday I was writing poetry. But I think, you know, I've given it lots of thought over the year. And I think Mm. what was so liberating for me is that I just, it was just simply the unspooling and the unfurling 
of a complete thought that I didn't have mm. to worry about a line break simply. <laughs> I simply <laughs> didn't have to worry about a line break. And so yeah. my sentences could be really luxurious and, and I could play around with when I need to rein myself in um, with a, you know, a three word sentence or a full on uh, a sentence that, you know, was almost 75 words, you know, things like that. So um, yeah. it was just great yeah. fun to be able in what I wanted to speak about, about nature and growing up in nature. Mm. I did not want to feel constricted by a line break simply. Yeah. And, and I, it feels like you had this kind of, wellspring of things that have been waiting a long time to be said and and that you maybe needed to say them quite directly uh, you know about growing up as a as a brown person amongst white people and the way that your differences were marked out and that amazing comparison you make over and over again between yourself and these remarkable creatures that because the animals you talk about are not mundane are they they're not like the kind of animals we see all the time they're they're special they're fantastic yeah yeah they are um I very purposely chose animals that aren't normally thought of as pets really or shouldn't be thought of as pets (laughs) um for sure and um and yet I also did want to include things like a monarch butterfly maybe Mm. something that people have seen in the wild an octopus for example you know um or dragon fruit you know my cousin's in the Philippines and India don't think a dragon fruit is is all different, you know, that kind of thing. No, of course not. No, no. So I wanted it to be a blend, but definitely I wanted more animals than not to be animals that people weren't familiar with overall, mm. animals and plants that people weren't familiar with overall. Yeah, so that we could all feel like students and that, that we're still all students. We should be anyway. You know? yeah. I'm no expert on these animals by no means. I'm not a scientist and I'm still learning about these animals still now. You know, it's in, mm. it's in print, but I still find things. Oh, I wish I could have added this or this. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the curse of writing books, I think. Mm-hmm. There's always something that you read afterwards. <laughs> but I mean, I, I got the sense of nature in your book as being something that was exuberantly gifted and full of extremes almost you know the fireflies that are bioluminescent the peacocks the narwhals the I don't know all of these incredible creatures that you can't help but wonder at like wonder lands in your lap when you read about them you'd be a very cold person not to be completely fascinated Hmm, I hope that's really, that was kind of, I didn't sit down with that goal, but that's kind of the the end hope that I have is that it becomes contagious. You know, I, I definitely mm. didn't want to wag my finger and make people feel <laughs> guilty or scare people or, you know, anything like that, because that's how it works in real life for me. I get excited about things that my friends and loved ones get excited about, even if yeah. I really have no interest at first, right? You know, yeah. it becomes kind of contagious, you know? Um, and I just thought, where are those? And there's definitely places um, and times for those books that scare me and send me into a rage, like, oh, I'm so, yeah. you know, mad at this injustice and, and things like that. I just, at the at the time I was writing this, I just wanted wonder to be contagious. And yeah. um, and that's kind of what I bet on as I hope. Mm. I don't see a whole lot of it in the world, but I I hope I hope that it becomes something that, oh, now you don't have to put down the book and 
change your entire life, but maybe one small thing, or maybe you notice something on the way to work that you didn't notice before because your eyes are more open to wonder. Mm. And I was moved at so many points in the book at the way you juxtaposed your story with the stories of the animals. And it was hard not to draw lines between you and them. Um, and the, the first one that, that really hit me, I think, was your peacocks, you drawing a peacock at school oh, and yes. telling that story. Can you tell that story for us? Because, I, you know, perhaps everyone hasn't read your wonderful book yet. But sure, sure. a peacock was kind of every day to you, but it wasn't at school. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, it's it's funny. I'm a I'm a child of the '80s, and <laughs> you know, in the in the '80s, all I wanted to do was you know, kind of be Madonna or um, you know, Cindy Lauper, something audacious. And to me, the peacock was that kind of a bird. You know, something mm. so flamboyant, and yet at the same time, it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me because I had kind of grown up with them in my home, you know, the, yeah. uh, for those who don't know, um, the peacock is the national bird of India. So we had, you know, peacock paintings and different, you know, peacock little sculptures and statues and, mm. oh, just all kinds of wall hangings and decor in my house, you know, growing up. <laughs> so during a, a project, you know, there was an art project where we were supposed to just draw an animal that we, that we wanted to learn about. Um, or one of our favorite animals, I chose the peacock and it was something just so uh, extra. It's one of those things Mm. that you kind of forget that it happened because I just kind of put it out of my mind until I really paused. I'm an, I'm a professor now I'm a mother Mm. Mm. and I look at it that I, at that incident with fresh eyes thinking that was really messed up and quite mean, but uh, the gist of it is, is I had a teacher who, when, when she saw that I was drawing a peacock, claimed that it was un-American somehow and <laughs> and that we should only draw American animals, um, wow. even though that was never part of the assignment. You know, I looked to my left, I looked to my right. My friends were you know, just drawing cats and puppies and dogs, maybe a rabbit, a snake. Mm. And I just, I the way she went about kind of singling me out, keeping me in during recess so that I could finish. I mean, I just redrew she said she mm. wanted something American. So I redrew the whole project, started from scratch and drew a oh. bald eagle, an American bald eagle. <laughs> and wow. it was so, I remember just wanting to just get it over with, get done with mm. it. And then it, to make matters worse, it won first place in the school. I was So I was just so ashamed because <laughs> it's not what I wanted. Mm. And as a result, I didn't have the words for it then, but it made me so, I think that was the beginning of me being so deeply ashamed about anything from India. I didn't want, I I just wanted to be anything that was on MTV. And if it wasn't on MTV, I didn't want a part of it. And it's so stupid, you know, of course it's so silly and and stupid. And um, how can you avoid it? Because children, well, I mean, I I think most children want to feel like they belong. And exactly. Your story is like a perfect distillation of, you know, being like forced to belong in a really Mm. uncomfortable way rather than finding your place in a, you know, diverse Mm -hmm. world. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, it's definitely a different time than, you know, my children have grown up with 
all kinds of superheroes and, you know, even their cartoons are super diverse, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, but me, I, I, there was simply no Asian Americans um, in the States uh, on television, you know, mm. let alone just being outside. You know, if, if I did see an Asian American, they were the kind of the nerdy stereotype of working with computers. And that right. was definitely not me. <laughs> so it, it, <laughs> you knew it, that it, already. Exactly. And it did, you know, again, I did not have the vocabulary for it, but I could see how I was digesting, oh, you know, are, are Asians not supposed to even be in a forest? Or, you know, are they not supposed mm-hmm. to be outside? It sounds so silly now, but my white husband would be the first person to say how strange it was to not grow up with any depictions of Asian Americans in books, in TV and movies just simply right. standing outside, yeah, you know, yeah. or having a crush or, you know, any, anything kind of so-called normal, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And um, nothing to refer to basically. Yeah. Nothing to refer to. So it, it's funny when I was, I really was writing this just for my kids. I was not thinking I'm going to sit down and write a book, you know, <laughs> that came much, much later. I just really mm. wanted to, to remember these, these instances of joy and a little bit of sadness um, but mostly how I felt being outside because I wanted them to to see that, yeah. Do you feel like it has changed for them sufficiently for this to like be necessary? Like you're recording a very distinct period of time. I think we're both born in the same year, actually. Um, oh, okay. Which I, you know, like I recognise that time a lot, but obviously from a really different perspective. Mm-hmm. But yeah, do you, do you feel like it has changed a lot? You know, I think there's definitely room for improvement, you know, but... Um, <laughs> It's not a finished job yet. (laughs) It's not a finished job yet, you know, but I think we are moving towards, I think, a society that embraces difference Mm. more than, and treats it kind of like as a, as a superpower rather than something to be ashamed of. No, definitely there are places that can be a lot better in in that, but I'm talking about all different, you know, I mean, just the other day I was talking with my with my youngest son of how many, how many kids are in his school in a wheelchair or, you know, right. Kids that are a little bit slower, you know, academically and, and how are they treated in the cafeteria, things like that, where Mm. are, you know, in the eighties, oh my goodness, so many of them, at least in my schools were treated like pariahs, you know, kind of the outcasts, you know, and I was, I know that because I was friends with them, you know, and (laughs) yeah, um, you hung out with those people. I hung out with those people, but I also had the bridge into, I had kind of a a smart mouth and I was kind of teacher's pet. So I kind of bridged, I couldn't completely be the the outcast because teachers mostly, except for that one horrid one, (laughs) adored me. And um, I had a snappy mouth, you know, so my friends kind of (laughs) laughed, you know. Um, but I also was a noticer. I was a big noticer. So I noticed when there was a quiet kid, I noticed when mm. a kid was being teased and I tr- I tried my best to step in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I wasn't always successful, but I'm so heartened to hear from my kids that it just simply wouldn't be tolerated at their school. It just would mm. not, mm. they're horrified when they hear my stories, you know, they just, how could you be eating alone in the cafeteria? That just wouldn't happen simply now, you know? Um, wow. That's so heartening. Yeah, that is so heartening. It's really, you know, it's lovely to note that change. But also imagine like being in a society 
where you don't want peacocks. Like I, yes, I, I <laughs> it is so strange. Like, why would you reject a peacock? A peacock's uh-huh. great. <laughs> yeah, or have this weird sense of nationalism and mm. and take it on a third grader. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, on, a, on an eight-year-old girl. You know, um, anyway, so who was born in the states, but just was taught by her parents to appreciate all differences. And and I just want to say too, it's not just you know racial differences. It's you know my kids have friends who are Muslim, um, who mm. are Latino, who have two mommies. You know, things like that. Yeah. And, I think those things, not that this is only happening now. I think that was so, that had to be kept hidden so much in the eighties. Um, yeah. And if it was exposed, it was, I think a dangerous time, you know, um, yeah, it a was. totally different time. So that makes me heartened that it's just nothing for my kids to say, Oh, that's, you know, that's been with two mommies, you know, that's something like that, you know? Um, and that's just a, a given, you know, nothing strange. Yeah. Kids adapt so easily and we, we never realized, but like we, there was so much shame when we were kids, like you kept stuff secret. You, yes. you hid like anything. Even things like divorce. Oh exactly. yeah, yeah. Divorce yeah. was a hidden thing and I remember my friends going through it and Mm. keeping quiet like Amy please don't tell anyone and and I didn't but I just I just Mm. feel for those kids who felt like they had to keep it yeah and yeah and to not see their lives depicted in tv or books or something like that or I think we were just on the bubble of that you know Um, oh yeah I mean my parents were divorced and I like I remember a point in the in the mid eighties, when a couple of our politicians were talking about single mothers as you know scroungers and scourges yes, on society, absolutely. And I, I mean, it was really politicizing. I have to say, like as a uh-huh. you know eight nine year old hearing that, I remember thinking, well, I I just know that's not true. Like I know yeah. how hard my mum has to work for absolutely everything, and uh-huh. you know, like it. I don't think it had the effect they wanted it to have actually. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, thank goodness. But but it was very much um, you know, instead of being championed, like look at the strength and resilience of these mm. single parents, yes, it yeah. was like, yeah, it's just like we I I absolutely remember that. And I think that is all but gone, at least it at least talking to so. 14 year olds so. and 11 year olds, you know. Yeah. That just doesn't even occur to them. Or at least they have really good friends who would never dare dream of talking like that to one another. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Mm-hmm. And so so your parents um, were both working in medicine. They were, yes. And so you, I mean, you had to move around a fair amount for your mum's job, I think, didn't you? You were, you were kind of going to like different hospitals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, they're both retired now. But at the time, my mother um, was a psychiatrist and we moved around from state mental institutions to state mental institutions. And uh, about three times in my life, we had an actual home. But the other times we (laughs) were living on the grounds of a mental institution. So you can imagine that made for, um, at least in the beginning, you know, the kids would say, what's going on? Are you a patient? What, you know, um, are you an, you know, um, I mean, the words they used then was inmate, you know, were you, are you a patient? Are you a resident? You know, things like that. And say, Mm. no, 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 that's, it's for my mom. And, you know, and at the time my parents had to be, um, 
separated for for work and it was more talk about you know my mom wasn't exactly a single mom but yeah. single mom and for all intents and purposes and you know for about 4 years of my life we lived on the grounds because it was safer for her to do so if she had to get called away in the middle of the night yeah she also knew us being in a facility like that with a ton of security around was actually a good thing um and i'm so proud of her for for yeah, making her wow. way doing this uh, and she's Filipino. Um, she wasn't always treated the best, but the places that my parents, we were all treated the best was outside. We were, right. they taught me how to be just so much at peace outside. Um, mm. And and I, and still now, I, that's still my happy place is being outdoors in a garden or in oh, yeah. taking walks in the forest. And and you talk about uh, walking on, uh, is it Camelback Mountain with your dad? Yes. Mm-hmm. He was obviously a really keen hiker but you know this point where you notice that you never saw any other Asian Americans there that actually that that access to nature is incredibly white in -hmm. general in like in my in my country too like it's you know definitely there are loads of accounts of of people feeling intimidated if they're Mm -hmm. not white and are accessing the countryside and and you know yeah, they often the communities around the most rural places can feel. Did you ever feel kind of threatened, or was it just more that you again you didn't see that analog of yourself accessing nature? Yeah, you know, thankfully, I I did. I don't recall ever feeling kind of threatened like that. Um, but mm. it was absolutely. Uh, I'm laughing not because the subject is funny, but I'm <laughs> laughing. Um, you know, as you know, uh, sometimes you get strange emails from from strangers and yes I do um, yes just this, <laughs> just this morning actually just before we logged on together um someone said why do you have to make you know why do you have to talk about brown skin outside all the time you know can't you just uh, go on a hike and I was well you can't know and my answer to that I just chuckled is you know why well, I would love to but it was something that I just noticed can I not mm. notice these things I just took you know I didn't cry about it I didn't whine about it and even in in the book I'm not whining about it it's just something that I absolutely noticed um but when people say that that's like you know don't draw my attention to an uncomfortable thing thank you very much exactly and (laughs) you know it's funny it's like funnily enough it is white people who say you know oh you must be Aztec with your last name or oh you know where where are you what are you that kind of thing and then they say there's the same people who say why do you have to make this about race (laughs) well I didn't you did you did all my life you know I didn't Um, start this I didn't start it I just wanted to look at flowers um that's extraordinary and so I think just to, to spin it around, I celebrate that, that my dad in his early 30s, you know, my parents traded us at one point. My dad was was taking care of us for a few years, but my mom had to work in, in places where it was not mm. acceptable to have kids. Right, right. And my parents wanted me to, uh, wanted my sister and I to be stable. So we stayed with my my dad in, in Arizona, which is full of mountains and you could just yeah. be outside all day long. And it was so, so great. But my dad, gosh, it, it, it's just extraordinary looking back to it. I'm so grateful for it that he made it a point. You know, I don't think he ever said, well, one day my daughter will be a poet. <laughs> you know, <in laughs> fact, the opposite. He was hoping that I would be a doctor, just, you know, just like my mom. But yeah. Um, 
he made it a point, no matter how tired he was, two things, either he took us to the library or he took us hiking. And Mm. I'm just so grateful for that um, because that's not something that I'm sure he saw other people that looked like him doing. Um, And he, and he did it, you know, and I don't, I don't know if anybody muttered any slurs to him or anything like that. If it happened, he never let us know. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just felt so safe up there with my dad and so joyful. It's so exuberant. Look at all these rocks to learn the names of and, and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I realized that must've been so hard to do for an Indian man with himself. Yeah. But it, it's obviously started this lifelong relationship for you. And I mm-hmm. just love the bit in your book about going outside and talking to birds. And, <laughs> yes. and like your husband not knowing about it. For ages. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that too was from my father, you know, and it's the silliest party trick in the world. But being able to talk to cardinals is something that I learned since I was little, you know, um, <laughs> An angry ornithologist, please don't email me um, saying that my bird calls are wrong, but because I know I'm not a scientist, but it's true. <laughs> what can I say? It's um, I have proof. I have several, I have dozens of witnesses who can vouch for me, um, but I know how to call cardinals. And it is, it's just one thing that I kind of, it just never occurred to me to share that with my husband and, until about a decade into my marriage. Um, so it's, you only get to do something like that. It just reminds me, you only get to do something like that when you have time, <laughs> time right. on your hands, which I know is such a luxury. And I, I try, I had so much time when I was a kid. And for that, I'm so grateful. You know, I, yeah. I could, I could just picture my son's eyes rolling their eyes right now, but <laughs> I did not grow up with screens. I'm guessing you didn't grow up with screens. So there was, there just wasn't much to watch. I mean, there was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. there was a bit of kids TV every afternoon, but it was like an hour and a half and then you were done. You had to, you had to find something to do. I sound really old saying this. I, I feel embarrassed for myself saying this right now. <laughs> we made our own entertainment. <laughs> yes. No. Oh my goodness. I think we're kindred spirits in that way. And I, I remember my mother saying only boring people are ever bored. You know? oh, and so that, that was as my a, mom's catchphrase too. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, it's just, it, it sounds like a, I lived such a paltry childhood, but I could have a whole afternoon if I found the right stick and the right, um, right. you know, like if there was like a muddy Creek, I would be so happy. I mean, the, the things you can do. Yeah, it sounds it makes you sound like I grew up in the Middle Ages, but it truly was. So uh, it was so I don't remember being bored. The few times that I said, Mom, I'm bored. I was snapped back by. Yeah. Go and do something kind of thing. Yeah. Find something. Find your entertainment. And that, I think, is something that I try, try, try to instill with my boys that your entertainment shouldn't be connected to electricity you know what if, yeah. what happens if electricity goes out what are you going to do you know i'm just taking a pause to let you know about my very exciting new patreon feed if you love the wintering sessions and would like to help it grow you can now become a patron Subscribers will get an exclusive monthly podcast in which I talk about the books, culture and the news that are currently inspiring me. You'll also get the chance to submit questions to my guests in advance of recordings and the answers will go into a special extended edition of the podcast that only patrons receive and a day early too. Plus, you'll get discounts and early booking links to my courses and events And your podcast will always be ad-free. 
If this sounds like your kind of thing, I have a special offer. The first 30 patrons will be able to join at a discounted rate of $3 a month for life. So do get in early and help to build the community from the foundations. Go to patreon.com forward slash Catherine May or follow the link in my bio to subscribe. And please don't worry if this isn't for you. The regular version of the wintering sessions will still be free and I really appreciate your listens. Now back to the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I mean, actually, we had a lot of power cuts when I was a kid as well. So that's, oh, a, I mean, that's another thing go. that my son hasn't experienced. But mm. the electricity went out whenever there was like a storm or it's yes. or high winds, you know, we'd lose yeah. all our electricity. And I remember that being really magical. I mean, it was probably hideously stressful for my mum, but <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever had a power cut since I had oh my son. My like, goodness. it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, mm. it was such a magical time. Like, oh, bring out the candles or the fire, uh, the the uh, flashlights, and I don't know, make games with flashlights or something like that. You know, it just yeah, it was this it was this magical time. So I think most kids have that in them. It's just mm. sometimes maybe you know, uh, upon adolescence, they start hearing from their friends or I don't know where they learn it from, but oh, it's not cool to exclaim anymore over a leaf or a right. patch of mud, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, or or something like that. But I think we're, we're all innately drawn to it. So my hope is that this book, again, I didn't want to point fingers. My hope is that <laughs> it gets us to remember that childlike sense of wonder that I think we all have. And it's free, yeah. you know, it's free. Um, it's free and it's a muscle and you lose it if you don't exercise it. Exactly. That's the mm. point right there, Catherine, is that it's a practice. And my goodness, now as a, a 40-something mother, you know, with a full-time <laughs> job, if you, it's something that I have to work at every day. Mm. And there mm. are times absolutely where I am just short-tempered uh, and, you know, uh, or I just feel so sad about what's going on in the world. Yeah, but I'm so grateful. The like it, it's like a, it's like a reset button. You know, you kind of reset. Like, oh, you know, the other day, my 11 year old who's obsessed with baseball and football, <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, um, not the biggest reader. <laughs> so, and that's fine. We all have our, you know. But as an English professor, 
that's slightly, you know, it was a, it was yeah. a slight, um, yeah. and it gave me pause, but I try to honor his own. <laughs> so, sure. and the other day he said, mom, mom, look, if you squint and it was a tree that had almost all of its leaves orange and, and just about to fall away here, mom, mom, look, if you squint, that tree looks like it's covered in butterflies. Oh, and it lovely. just took my breath away. And I just thought, oh my gosh, here we were just running around doing errands. I was short with tempered with him. <laughs> and oh, I haven't seen him read a book in forever. And oh, he, he reminded me to take just a moment. It didn't take super long, yeah. but just take a moment and notice what's out there right in front of us, you know? Um, and it only takes a tiny pause. It's lovely. Yes, just a tiny pause. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so it just shows that kids are listening. They're observing. They're watching. They are. It just is a good reminder that uh, when I'm feeling frazzled and stressed, you know, um, to just yeah. reset. No, absolutely. I had a lovely moment with my son last night, who, a bit like your son, I think, is not the keenest reader in the world. He'd rather be on his <laughs> iPad. And yeah, you know, again, I feel a, like a bit of a failure. <laughs> but <laughs> he came in last night and said, Mum, have you heard of a poet called William Blake? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to tell you everything. Oh my <laughs> I'm now goodness. Gonna, like empty my whole William Blake knowledge at you yeah. and dig out loads of books. And he was he went with it. Like I thought after after a few beats, I thought, oh God, I'm just going to overwhelm him and he's going to... Going to ruin it. <laughs> but apparently I managed to pull it off just this once. And um, he went off to school today with Songs of Innocence and Experiences, his reading book. And I was just oh, so thrilled. Oh my goodness, that is... Is a parenting win right there. I know. This is like the high point. It's only downhill from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was so thrilled. Oh, how <laughs> it's all lovely. Those little well, you you hope that you pass something on to them, you know. And like, I, it seems to me that so much of what actually gets passed on is is on a diagonal, almost. Like you, the stuff you mean to pass on, they don't care about because they, <laughs> they they're sort of averse to your interests somehow. Yeah. In a really insulting way, oh, um, no, I... but they. But every now and then, you realise there's a bit of you in them anyway. And and like he was fascinated by William Blake because he felt like he had found him. Mm-hmm. And I was thrilled to let him find William Blake. Like that's awesome, as far as I can say. That's so great. Oh my goodness! It reminds me too of just. Oh, if I'm remembering this right, correct me if I'm wrong. There was a, a passage in Wintering. Um, for November slumber, just oh, um, yeah. just the importance of just not getting right to your phone when you wake up and how important sleep and rest is. I feel like when mm. I don't have sleep and rest, I'm also mm. not noticing things. You know, I'm just, yeah. I'm too frazzled to notice. I just want to get the next thing on my to-do list done. And yeah. just, yeah. I, I really just connected so much with that just because it's November now. But I remember underlining so many things in your book about I mean, I think our body needs that rest and reset Mm. a little bit, you know, Um, especially during this time of the year when there's everything is telling you to be busy and to, Mm. you know, to buy things. And what about the people who don't have time, um, who are just trying to make ends meet and now they have to find time to to have money to celebrate the holidays, which should be, yeah. you know, yeah. so much of, I think there's this, I don't know, it's a, it's a nice time to, to reset now, right in the middle right. of um, yeah. all the yeah. advertisements of buy this thing and your holidays will be bright or buy this one thing. And 
anyway, I just wanted to say how much I appreciated that. Oh, and it's such a lie. I mean, oh, thank you. And I, I, do you know what? I've been thinking about it again this year because Mm. I'm very resistant to the kind of big Christmas build up. Like I really do think it's actually quite toxic. And Mm -hmm. for, for the reasons you've mentioned and more, you know, like, it's toxic because it's so financially hard for so many people to yes. keep basic pace with it. It's toxic because it's exhausting. It's toxic because it's like it's busy work rather than beautiful living. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. Like yes, that. beautiful living. Oh my gosh, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that's what we yeah. should be doing in the holidays is living beautifully, whatever yes. way we can yeah. do that. And it doesn't most of the time it doesn't require much money, you know, like, um, no. And, and so what really surprised yeah. me this year was, um, like my son saying to me, cause I always knew he loved Halloween and that's fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. But he, he said like, you do know that Halloween matters more to me than Christmas. And I was oh. like, what? <laughs> so, oh <my> what? <laughs> I was really taken aback by it. And, and, you know, he sort of said, I just love it. I love all the stuff that comes with it. And I thought about it and I thought, so all that stuff that I put myself under pressure to provide at Christmas, you know, like thinking that, you know, every like thinking he needs a big pile of presents and mm-hmm. thinking that like I have to get all the right food in and we have to have all these moments over Christmas. And actually he's asking for a, a, something that's much simpler because Halloween's yeah. really simple here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's asking for like having fun and dressing up and messing about a bit for one Mm -hmm. afternoon and then it's over and I it really really took me back I it really it was kind of a lesson for me I think about my assumptions about what he's demanding um, as Mm -hmm. opposed to what I'm actually forcing onto him which he's he finds very stressful I think Mm. at Christmas you know and I think oh my gosh everything that you're saying resonates so much with me and you know, I think kids are good litmus tests of, you know, I think they can sense when mom's stressed, yeah. I, I'm a little stressed. I can't relax, you know, or I can't, you know, or, or every, and then they act out or whatever, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. I think they absolutely can detect that. And um, yeah, that's one thing. That's a goal that I'm trying to do this, this holiday um, is to just set aside time, no screens, no, um, just to actually find the magic. This sounds, yeah. this sounds like an English professor. So forgive me, but, <laughs> but they have a ton of books and we have about an acre of yard. Mm. So between our yard and they have a zip line and they have trees in the back, but wow. we're also Mississippi surrounded. Um, they call it the green kind of little, it's a little postage stamp of green, this green velvet ditch. All their friends have, you know, live near kind of forest woodlands. And mm. I really want, I'm going to say like, look, your gift is to, you know, they're going to have some gifts, of course, um, but your <laughs> gift is going to be time. I want them to look at time as such a gift. Uh, and just to me, yeah. like, I won't be nagging you. I'm going to send you out for about two hours. Um, I'm going to be nearby, but, uh, mm, mm. you know, but, um, in case, but just two hours, find something to do with your mates and just run yeah. around and get Have dirty. Have a nice time. Get up yeah. your knees, you know. Yeah. Um, when I go teach poetry to my, uh, to elementary school kids, I'm struck at how many of them, and this is during, you know, spring months and, and it stays warm here till October, 
how many of them don't have skin knees? They're wearing mm. shorts and they don't have skin knees. Meaning, you know, I don't know about you, but the kids and I, um, oh. when we were growing up, we were just falling out of trees or sk- falling off our bikes or that was a regular occurrence. We were walking open wounds, honestly. I, yes. <laughs> I know. It would be, you know, like, oh, what happened there? Oh, that scab just busted open. I mean, it was just really terrible. <laughs> and I'm a very, very, what I would call a girly girl. I'd be a very girly, but I had skin knees from falling yeah. off playground equipment or whatever. Uh, so I just really want them to play because you know, my eldest is 14. And thankfully, he's just on that cusp of, st- of still wanting to play. Oh, that's I just lovely. want him to still feel like wanting to play through his teen years, you know, as much as oh, possible. I want them to want to play forever. I want them to yes. never feel like they have to give Ex- up on play. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, you and I know grown-ups, people our mm. age who have stopped yeah. playing and it shows in their yeah. speech, it shows in their habits, it shows in how they live their life. And Yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah. that's the hallmark of writers and creative people that we just don't stop playing. But I also think that the weird thing is that often our play isn't seen as play when we're children. But we, yes. we have our own kind of particular play that's quite intense mm-hmm. and quite involved. But we and we never let go of it. If we're lucky, we we never ever let go of it, and we keep keep playing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the beauty the beauty is too. I do want to put a shout out for people who aren't parents who are listening to this. You know, because um, I do remember so much when I was single and didn't have a kid, and pe- you know, people would say things like. Oh, well, once I had a kid, I felt love for the planet. You know, no, it's like, <laughs> I think I felt the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, really? Like, um, so if you don't have a kid, you can't be environmentally conscious or a conscious. Oh, or, I hate and, all of that. Yeah. I do want to say that all of this, though, mm. is something that, you know, we're, I don't know quite how it is there in the UK right now, but here in the States, we're still very much in a pandemic. A yeah, lot of people absolutely. forget that we are, but, mm. you know, my youngest caught COVID last month oh, and we were so careful. We had yeah. not gone anywhere, but that's just how contagious it is. And as a result, mm. he's not able to get vaccinated now for oh, a, no. a few months because he has to wait, you know? Um, so there's so many of us, so many of my students, so many of uh, so many of my university students that are just kind of they're not with their normal group yeah. of friends and loved yeah. ones, and not they're still feeling so alone. So it's it's hard. How do you how do you find joy? How do you find wonder when you're alone in your flat or at mm. home, or you're not traveling, you haven't seen your friends? And I think that parking lot reminder of seeing a tree that looks like butterflies. That's yeah. something that can be done by by us through our own windows, um, wherever yeah. we live, you know. And if you you don't have to be a writer, you don't have to be an artist, but if you have a blank notebook and a pencil, you can sketch the clouds that day. You can mm. look up what is that weird leaf that I found? What is that? You know, <laughs> I think there's such a joy and magic in discovering names of things. Yeah, but I, think I mean, absolutely, that. absolutely, yeah. and then and then kind of connecting those names to other things and. Yeah, you can go on whole journeys. Absolutely. And I think once, now in this time of isolation, once we know the names of things, you feel, you start feeling less alone. I can't explain it, but you just start, instead of just, oh, yellow flower at the edge of that building, you realize, oh, that's Cecropia or, you know, things like that. Like that's, 
you just actually um, feel yeah. a little bit less alone. The world feels less overwhelming when mm. you can put names to things. And that's something you can do with books or looking out your window and an internet yeah. connection. What is the name of that tree that I saw that I passed by every day? Oh, and then the next time you see it, it activates that little part of your brain again. And you've, you, yes. you build up this texture around you that mm -hmm. is much more than flowers, leaves, plants, birds, you know, it's Absolutely. specific and it's got infinite detail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before I let you go, Amy, I just want to return to a lovely, joyous bit of your book towards the end, uh, where you mm. talk about your wedding. And oh. I, <laughs> I loved, I mean, I loved the vision. It took me right back to peacocks again, like everybody oh. in beautiful saris and bright colours and it sounded beautiful. But then this image of you all dancing the Macarena together. <laughs> I think yes. I think what that really says is we shouldn't be precious about our joy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think I really didn't want to hit anyone over the head, but I love that you made that connection, that that girl who was so ashamed of peacocks mm. grew up to be somebody who had her, at her wedding, you know, my, the groomsmen were, were wearing Barang Tagalogs, which is the uh, formal wear for men in the Philippines, you know, and my <laughs> bridesmaids were in saris and only my sister was Asian, you know, they're all, you know, white girls in saris and my, Midwestern family and my in-laws all, oops, excuse my dog. <laughs> That's uh, right my in-laws, oh my goodness. Haiku. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Catherine. Don't worry, it's fine. Oh, how embarrassing. That's my oh, dog. Oh no, don't That's be embarrassed. That's my dog. Ha Haiku is his name. And Haiku. He is, he is a little chihuahua and he is my, you know, he has a Napoleon complex like all chihuahuas and our <laughs> mailman dropped off a package. So he's trying to defend me and it's so embarrassing. Oh, it's adorable. Anyway. I love I love when it, like when real life intrudes. <laughs> yes, I I don't think we should all be oh pretending goodness. we're in a studio. I really like it that dogs bark no. and children come <laughs> in and all that kind of thing. That's real life. But yeah, so anyway, I, I just was saying that that girl who, you know, my Midwestern in-laws, they loved it. I just love that my very Midwestern in-laws were dancing with my Indian uncles and oh, um, and it was great. the Macarena of all things. And and that's the one video from MTV <laughs> that I remember ever seeing an Asian American in, you know, so I just, I couldn't have planned it. I didn't, it was not at all what I expected my vision. I don't know what I expected from my vision of, of, uh, my wedding, but, um, it was not that sanitized, clean, just very small, just bits of joy. It was exuberant and it was, uh, the song that I didn't want to hear at all. <laughs> and, um, and everybody had the best time, even though we were still, we were using CDs for, um, you know, for most of wow. the night, uh, playing CDs. I'm dating myself here now. I, I but... bet your children were like, you know, <laughs> if your children had been there, they'd have been like, I know. I know. Exactly. It's really funny. All this kind of... <laughs> we are, we are really old. We just have to accept that we're old. I know. It's, it's fine. I'm just really down with it. <laughs> well, I, yeah, you know, so... I love, I love this idea that the, the the Macarena has a unifying power that cuts across cultures and time <laughs> exactly. and it just it made me grin from ear to ear. Oh, Amy, I'm thank so you glad. so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. And thank I will you. make sure that I signpost my listeners to your marvelous book and to all your places on social media because I'm sure they'll want to jump in and follow you. Oh thank you so much. 
Um, but it's been a real pleasure to talk. So lovely. I just adore talking to you, Catherine. And thank you for making time from your busy week as well. Ah, thank you. The sun's gone now. I watched it become a semicircle and then the merest sliver. And then it dipped finally below the horizon altogether. It always seems to speed up at that end point, like it is in a hurry to go to bed. That's how I always feel too, the sun. Full sympathies. There's an old biplane flying overhead now. And the seabed that's left behind by the low tide is a rainbow of colour now. All the colours of the sky. It looks like someone's spilt petrol over it, although thankfully today I don't think they have. It's such a moment, this. This point after sunset. But before it's dark. It's like something's suspended. Like we're in a time that shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be light in the sky. There is no sun. But there it is, this lovely twilight. And all the seagulls have risen into the air. And I can hear a curlew by the tide line, that lovely fluting sound. And my feet are very muddy. <laughs> I'll be cleaning my boots tomorrow morning. Oh. Just want to share this moment of peace with you, really. I feel like Amy would really like this. She would like the curlews best of all, because they are so special. So hard not to notice. I want to thank us so much for our conversation. I love it when really people talk from the heart. There's so much in our world that's rehearsed and carefully controlled and choreographed. And I think we writers have got a responsibility to resist that. To go out and be wholehearted, to tell the truth. We've always been truth tellers. We still carry that job. Such a great thing about running a podcast like mine and getting to the heart of things. Mm. Thank you for listening. Thank to my Patreons who helped to make this possible. This week we had a... Cheryl Strade's film Wild Watch Along, which I really enjoyed. It was so nice to have some company and the company gave me the excuse to watch it. It was a real pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode and you've got like the price of a cup of coffee in your pocket spare each month, please do join us. It really helps keep this going. Thank you to my producer Buddy Peace, who also composes the theme tune. It's not a theme tune. I keep saying that. It's such a terrible way to describe it. The lovely introductory music. 
and to Megan Hutchins, who looks after all the practicalities and I cannot tell you how she keeps us on track. It's awesome. Oh, and thank you to Amy for a lovely chat. And to all of you for coming along for the ride. The tractors are coming towards me now. Can you hear them getting louder? They're going home, I think. I'm going to take some photos of this gorgeous moment where the light is just receding. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. So, Robert, tell the people, what's a pretendian? It's just what it sounds like, Angel. A pretend Indian. Someone who fakes being one of us? Someone who impersonates a native. We're talking about real scammers and con artists. There are pretendians teaching at universities, pretendians running governments, pretendians in Hollywood. On our new podcast, Pretendians, we'll tell you the incredible story of these jaw-dropping frauds. Who are they? Why do they do it? And how the heck do they keep getting away with it? Listen to Pretendians on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>